This is Dan Panocean of Unkindness of Ravens and Slots, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. People that score the highest of high scores on every video game possible. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. <laughs> and today on the show, well, it's Dan Panosian. And before it we get is. into it there, Johnny, I just want to say yeah. I have his Wikipedia page up because I wanted to read a little bit about him. And I love yeah. his early life. The the You know how they section it off? Yeah. yeah. Under early life, it says... Dan Panosian was born in Cleveland, Ohio, to artistic parents. He is of American descent. <laughs> so descriptive. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh, but it makes me laugh. Well, I mean, today Jeff talks of the American descent of Dan Panosian. I can't even not. I can't say it without laughing. <laughs> oh man! No, this no, guy. Dan is, seems a cool guy, man. He's yeah. he's you know got the notice of Neil Adams and Walt Simonson. If if uh, I mean. If those two guys are taking notice of your work at a young age, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, dude, he's done work for Dark Horse and Boom yeah. Studios and Dynamite. And the guy's been all over the place. He's worked on uh, Captain America, Batman, Spider-Man, Thor. Uh, he ain't no slouch. He ain't no slouch. His art, if you look up his artwork, it's pretty damn nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty sweet. So let's sit back and sweet. listen to Dan and, and Jeff in their own words. Welcome, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have Dan Panocean. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Um, getting just adjusted to our reality right now and preparing, apparently, to go back to school in September. Uh, teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We don't have all these Zoom school here in California. Oh, they're, they're not going They're not going to reopen? No, the September? schools aren't going to reopen, but, you know, obviously, they're going to do their best with with having kids on Zoom. Well, it, it must be as a parent, it must be nice that you can work from home and you don't and that just should and that I assume makes the decision much easier for you. Oh, I mean, I, it's great working from home. It's a little it's a little tough sometimes having a son. He's 6 years old and he you know, he just wants to play all day and and, and wrestle and you know, play action figures, which I, you know, I love doing, but it's tough on work because <laughs> I don't have an office outside. A lot of houses, I don't know where you guys are located, but it, in California, there's a lot of these houses they've converted the garages and they become studios. So it'd be nice if 
if I could physically go to work, that'd be kind of cool. Oh, that would be very nice. I, the podcast for, for me anyway, and I, I live in Rhode Island, so it's for uh, me, it's in my living room. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you may hear some dogs um, and cats fighting. You may have my wife come in from work and that might uh, be interrupted, but yeah, no, it's, I would wish I had my own office. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I have an office, but it's just another, it's, it's like a large bedroom in the house. And you saw earlier when we were on the video portion of the Skype, you know, I got my son's art desk in here, which he doesn't use too often, but it's in here. So he comes in here all the time. So is he a good artist like his father or? Not yet. No, (laughs) (laughs) I'm always surprised. I I thought, you know, it'd be one of those things like you've noticed something right off the bat, but um, I'm not disappointed with him at all. I think that's, it's not a bad thing that he's not into it. He just doesn't show a whole lot of interest in it, which is fine. I was always super interested in drawing. It's all I did when I was a little kid. Well, not all I did, but I, I did certainly do a lot of it and had a great time. But he's more interested. He's a much more physical uh, kid than I was. So you may have an athlete on your hands? Definitely. I don't know what kind of athlete, but the, he's definitely impervious to uh, pain and he's got great reflexes. So. <laughs> Who knows what he could do? Well, that sounds very promising. So, like, do you remember what you were like as an artist at his age? Like, at your age, did you already know that was a talent of yours, or did it take well, more developing than that? I, I mean, I got a lot of positive feedback even as a young kid. Both my parents were artists. My dad, like me, wasn't too thrilled about me becoming an artist, but he, I think he was happy that I was I was pretty decent at it. What's What's interesting is you'll see a lot of children now and and their art talent versus like say my talent when i was a kid it's it's so much better i mean there's some amazing children out there who are great artists i I mean that in general if you look at comic books today versus comic books 10 15 years ago besides standouts like say bernie wrightson or frazetta or some of these phenoms artistically in the comic book world i think overall the art scene has dramatically improved as far as draftsmanship So I think maybe it's just like kind of a world consciousness thing. I think children that are artists, if it's that hive mentality, like they're better artists. So I I think if I displayed the type of art I displayed, you know, and everybody was that good, I don't know if they would be as encouraging. Well, do you think, though, that in many ways, though, that the artists of the past are why artists so good? In other words, they feel sort of like movies, special effects, the need to keep topping who came before. Do you think there's a little bit of having to feel a need to top the previous artists? I don't know about having the need to top it. I just think that, you know, with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all these, you know, things like DeviantArt and websites like that, I think there's ArtStation is another very popular one. We're exposed as artists to so many different artists and so many different people do it with different takes on it. And by virtue of that alone, you're, you kind of, exponentially kind of grow if that makes sense i mean i i up my game and considerably just by going wow this I, I have to do this well because this is out here or i'm influenced by another artist and also there's a lot of process videos out there so it demystifies some of the work you're like oh there's they started with some scribbles too well i can do that and then you know you go on from now now um a writer well such as it is a, a writer so I was, the world of art is definitely out of, of my bounds. I always wonder from an artist, is it how much of it is pure, like natural gift? How much of it is hard practice? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's uh, when I look at art, I think it 
it, a lot of it is um, math or geometry, and you're looking at lines and, and shadows in relationship to other lines and shadows, and those create shapes. And so understanding that sort of geometry, I think anybody can learn that. And I, it's like doing like a basketball free throw. You know, if you keep doing that free throw, I mean, you could be athletically gifted or not athletically gifted, but if you keep doing it, you're by virtue of doing it, you're going to get better and better. So if you're super interested in art and you keep doing it, you're, you're going to improve naturally. Well, I, obviously, there's people that are just, you know, you look at James Jean and like that guy's born to to be an artist, clearly. Can, can you tell when you're looking at someone's artwork whether or not it's more if it is, let's say, untrained versus if it's more either hard work or natural practice when you look at someone's work? Is there oh, something different, different about it? That's, that's definitely a great question. I mean, there's guys that you can look at and go, this guy definitely is academically trained as an artist. I mean, if you look at someone like John Paul Leone, that guy has a great foundation. And I think that's what art school does. And I mean, obviously, you're going to be influenced by your teachers and your professors. And some of that stuff is their technique is going to naturally be a part of yours. But, you know, like a Tommy Lee Edwards or someone, they, you know, they just from the get-go, we're already leaps and bounds above a lot of other people. If I had to do it all over again, I definitely would have gone to art school. Yeah, I mean, I know, I think it's Rob Liefeld who tends to discuss often how he did not go to um, any kind of school to learn to draw this, that it was him kind of self-teaching himself. Uh -huh. I, he makes, I know he makes a big um, deal on that issue. Is uh, I mean, it's a, a good thing or a bad thing? Um, honestly, I can't usually tell once again is I think it's something that he doesn't feel very confident about it. And I, th I do think there's a little bit of definitely confidence from that. I don't know if he's discouraging people from going to artwork. I just know that he is very proud of his own ability to have not needed to. Well, I mean, he's a perfect example. He's very successful. I mean, with Deadpool and cable and all his other successes i mean he's rob's a very interesting guy in, in, in that way i mean he's you know there's a lot of critical analysis of, of rob in a lot of ways but his his wins in life speak for themselves i suppose you know that's the ultimate you know determiner of the litmus test of, of what he's, his abilities he, he found a way to connect with audiences during that time and you know there were better artists than him and there were worse artists than him and uh, he he really clicked well, I definitely want to, um, especially if you have time to go into some about Extreme Studios. Um, I know you worked for them, and I was a big purchaser of their comic books in the '90s. I bought, you know, Brigade and Bloodstrike, and, and Young Blood. Profit. I, I, I <laughs> talked to you. I think I mentioned to you that I had the first issue of Profit that you signed oh, yeah, on you my got, wall right now. Yeah, I think I sent you a picture of it as well because I'm so very proud of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was kind of my Marvel Comics had let me do a, a little bit of penciling here and there just to. Because that was, I wanted, when I broke into comic books, mainstream comic books, my, I really wanted to pencil and ink, and I was a better inker than I was a penciler. So the editors would occasionally throw me like a backup story or a cover um, to something, and not pro probably not very well deserved, but, you know, when you have a working relationship with anyone, you know, you, you're going to give them some of the benefit of the doubt, or you just, it's just a way of being kind. But the first issue of Profit is really my first uh, foray into penciling and inking uh, my own work in that way. Yeah, like I said, it, it, the, it's a, a brilliant-looking comic book. I, I do love the idea. I, I do want to go into that. But the first question I actually had for you was that I read um, that 
you first got noticed by Neil Adams and Walt Simonson. That, that, well, I, I was working with a friend of mine. What well, even before he was a friend, he had he had hired me to draw his comic book, The Dark. His name is Joseph Neftali. And he had hired uh, God, who, who oh, it was Mark Bright, who did a lot of work on uh, Green Lantern to draw his comic book, and I inked it. And so Mark Bright's a very accomplished artist, like he's professional through and through, and he has a similar style anatomy-wise to Neil Adams is probably a big influence. So I had these Mark Bright pages with me, and Joe Naftali is a very kind, generous guy, and he said, fly up to New York, and you can stay at my parents' place, and we're going to go to this convention. I want to show off this comic book. It was what basically turned into the New York Comic Con. Back then, it was called the it was the Greenberg Convention. It was at Penn Station, or it was called the Penn Station, Penn Con, or something like that. And uh, I showed the samples around. I had some samples from Mike Zeck that I inked uh, of Punisher number one from the limited series that John Beatty had done such a great job on. But I showed the Mike Zeck stuff, which is flawless, and the Mark Bright stuff. And and both Walt Simonson and Neil Adams both liked it quite a bit. Neil said he'd hire me on his continuity comics, which was a part of his advertising studio. And I think he just I think a lot of his clients were excited to work with him because they loved comics. And so he wanted to keep that alive. And Neil's just a very creative guy. He just, I don't think he could fully go into advertising without still having his hand in comics. So I inked, I inked some of his comics over there. And then Walt Simonson was cut enough to call Ralph Macchio, who was his editor on Fantastic Four at the time. I think he was done with Thor. And Ralph hired me doing uh, backup inks on Doctor Strange and Thor. Now, when um, the first, when, they, when you met them, did you already know who Neil Adams and Walt Simonson were? Oh, definitely. I was a big fans of them. I had subscriptions to uh, Walt Simonson's Thor comic already, and my dad was a big fan of Neil Adams, both the comic books and a lot of the advertising work he did. That's what my dad did. He was an advertising guy. So I know once you got working with Marvel, you did you worked at an ad agency and you're working at Marvel. Is there one, either ad agency or, or Marvel, that you felt more connection to like do you prefer do, doing well, ad work? i know you still do ad work and or did you prefer being um at marvel more well i mean even when i was working at neil adams studio i was i was inking comic books so i wasn't working and doing his advertising artwork and i was also within a month i was already working at dc comics too and valiant so i was kind of they were you know when I, if you're getting a backup it's five pages a month so i was getting five pages for marvel you know a fill-in issue at dc and pages that Neil, one of Neil's artists were drawing. I think it was maybe Ron Wilson at the time. And, and Valiant was just throwing me work sporadically here and there. So it was just, a, it was enough. And my, you know, I grew up, my dad was like, never turn down work because you never know as a freelancer, you know, when it's going to stop or dry up. So I would take everything that was thrown my way and I'd find one way or another to do it. What was nice about working with, with Neil, and I'm sure he did this with a lot of people, is I would turn in work and I'd come in early the next morning before anyone else was there, except Neil was there. And he would have, he'd have redrawn everything I inked. And, <laughs> and, but he took the time also to show me like, this is what I did. This is what you did wrong. So it was, it was like a little bit of inking school and all that, uh, everything he taught me really stayed with me. All of it. You know, I still think about some of the, the things he mentioned when I'm inking or when I'm drawing because inking and drawing are, 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 kind of go hand in hand you you can't be a good anchor without understanding the fundamentals of penciling 
Now, as someone who, I, I, as a writer, I do find that it's one of the differences between, I think, someone who I think is going to be successful, especially or, and the artists I deal with, and the ones who I can tell are not going to be successful on some level, is how they deal with um, that criticism. And when you said Neil Adams was giving you those criticisms and telling you to how to re- and rework things, how did you handle it? Like, what were you able to say either? Uh, how, to how, yourself? Can you, how can you say anything to Neil Adams? His, you know, his resume speaks for itself. I was, uh, you know, I had my ideas. I was a big fan of John Byrne at the time. Jim Lee hadn't a hundred percent come into his own yet, but uh, he was just starting to literally just, I think they recognized how good he was on Punisher War Journal, and they were going to bring him in as an X-Men guy. So I was definitely aware of guys like him and Kevin Nolan, but my foundation was probably John Byrne. And so Neil's very realistic way of, you know, or comic book realistic way of, excuse me, approaching things was different than my own. But I always had an immense respect for everything he told me. So I listened to everything, and I, I, I try to be you know, great about criticism. I, I send a lot of my work to Dave Johnson and he occasionally will send me some of his work. And we, we both uh, like basically critique it. Sometimes we'll do draw overs on each other's work. And it's, it's exceptionally helpful because if you're working on something, and I'm sure it goes with your writing too, you, you get very close to it. So sometimes, you know, something might lapse. You're very familiar with your characters, but the reader might not be. So some of these things aren't clear and same goes for the drawing. Yeah, I will say definitely as a writer, and I do find that I hopefully put more credit to the positive reviews instead of the negative ones. But I do, <laughs> but I do find the difficulty, and I think the difference for me, if I'm ever going to become largely successful, is the ability to brush oneself off and take yeah. the information that you get without letting, without, and while still maintaining the confidence that you are good at what you were doing anyway. You know that you know what I'm saying? You got to take it with a grain of salt, but you know, I'll take, I'll take criticism from someone who's, you know, I've, I've had, I, I've been critiqued before and I, I, you know, sometimes it's just, you, it's a matter of taste or it, it's not found the found it isn't based on something, but if someone says you drew a nose and that doesn't look like a nose to them, then maybe, you know, it requires you looking into it in many cases. So my favorite example of that is I was doing X-Men stuff at the time, and I think I was inking a long, a huge long shot face over Jim Lee. I was probably doing finishes on Jim Lee. So I was trying to, you know, Jim Lee had thrown down the basic instruction of the faces. And this was probably from X-Men number five or six, but there's a huge shot of long shots head. And I still hadn't, didn't have my head wrapped around exactly what Scott Williams was doing with um, some of the Z lines, we called them, and some of the cross-hashing techniques. But my dad saw what I was doing, and he goes, what, what's all that stitching on this guy's face? Like, it looks like he's got stitches all over his face. And I said, look, I go, no, Dad, you don't understand. That's the style. That's the shadowing and shading. And he goes, well, it looks like stitching. <laughs> and, and so I was not happy about that critique, but... After I, you know, settled down and looked at it, I'm like, well, there's something to that. And, you know, basically all the lines you throw down, no matter how finessed and stylized they are, have to represent shadow and form. And that's their reason for being there. So, you know, you have highly stylized artists, very graphic, like guys like Chris Picello, and he has a way of 
shadowing things, and they're different from the way Mike Golden does, and that's different from the way someone like Robert Crumb or Barry Windsor Smith might do that, or you know Dave Johnson or John uh, or like Josh Middleton. So you know everybody's got their own way, but they have to inform the reader of that shape or that form or that object, a person or car or tire. And if they don't, then they're not doing a good job of it. Yeah, I mean, and and I think it's great. Not only that you still are able to maintain your confidence, but I I thought I was reading your about your history. You did one of the ballsiest things I think uh, I I can imagine is when you left Marvel to go to Image Comic Books. Now that must have been (laughs) some serious balls to do that. (laughs) I don't know. I was still pretty young. I was uh, bouncing back from New York to Florida, and I had inked an issue over Rob Liefeld of X Force, and he was making the. He, he called me on the phone and told me he was making the transition. He was going to start this company with, you know, McFarlane and everybody. And he gave, he sold, you know, he gave me the, the sell on the company he was doing. And he was already starting on Youngblood at the time. And that's why he wasn't making that issue. And I was. And he was like, man, I'd like you to come out here and take a look at everything. And by the way, you can expect this much money for your royalty check on this book, on this X-Force book. So it was, it was a huge amount. I remember getting off the phone. I was like, wow, my life just changed, you know, by, yeah. by, by an <laughs> issue of a comic book. It was, right, the right. Same, it was the same amount of money I would, I would have made that year, you know, inking, you know, 12 issues. So when he told me he had this great idea and he'd make this much, it, it wasn't that tough of a decision to go over there. And, and I was super fast. And I, I still am exceptionally fast anchor. And I was doing about three, sometimes up to four books a month. So I was like, you know, I can ink a book at Image and I can also still ink books at ink the X-Men books that I was working on. And I did. Rob had no problem uh, with me, you know, inking X-Men at the same time. I was inking John Romita Jr. Now, did you know that Image was going to be successful? Was there something about either the energy involved or the talent involved that you just knew? Image is not going to be something like, because with so many small companies, they last for maybe a year, then they fold. I can name so many of those. Did you know Image was going to survive when you took you part know, in it? Maybe that was just Rob's way. I mean, he. I was convinced after I, it was one phone call, and I was convinced. And, you know, he he just sold me on it so well. I, I was like, oh, I'll take a chance. And I flew out there. Rob let me stay in his house. He had a bunch of people. He had bought a house for people to live in. And when I stayed at Rob's house, he slept on the couch and I slept in his room. I couldn't talk him out of it. I'd never met the guy before. Yeah. That's just the type of person he was. It was crazy. Um, Very generous in that way. And he was driven. All he did was do comic books. He'd be exercising on a treadmill and uh, he'd be doing thumbnails. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I don't know if that's a a great thing, but that's, you know, (laughs) I'm limited. He had to do what he had to do. Well, I mean, when looking at it, and draw young blood. Yeah, I'm gonna say when looking at Extreme, I mean, he has a hell of a track record. I mean, I was buying at the time when Extreme Studios came out. I was buying mostly Batman. I think I was buying Green Lantern. But then when I, I think when I saw Brigade, I think Brigade was the one that like bought me, sold me into Image. And I just pretty much bought out the line. And there was something about the Image, the Extreme Studio comic books, that just was so full of energy and they just felt vibrant and everything just felt like it was exploding on on your page. And you never, I never saw anything like it before. Well, that's probably a lot of Rob Liefeld's influence. I know Rob Michaels was um, penciling that book. Um, that was Brigade. And everybody was just kind of feeding off Rob's enthusiasm. I, Rob recently did an um, interview on cartoonist Gayfabe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that 
Right, but it's Ed Pisker and Jim Ruggs' uh, live stream or uh, YouTube channel. It's maybe an hour and a half, and I think those guys got in maybe six questions. And Rob just is nonstop throughout that interview. And he's older than I am, and he's just he's never running out of energy. He's pretty impressive in that way. Yeah, and like I said, and we were talking about uh, Profit. That was such an extraordinary character, sort of a little bit of Captain America, a little bit of Cable, but it was such a smart character, and it was visually very stunning. And it's not surprising that Prophet has seemed to be one of the extreme studio characters that does have long life attached. I to think him. it's one of Rob's favorites, if I'm not mistaken. He really loved that character, and the character kind of had some religious undertones, or maybe even overtones, you know, about him. And Rob's father was a pastor or a reverend. So it was interesting. It was an interesting book, but on that whole image comics thing, I mean, every single one of those creators from Jim Lee to Sylvester to Todd McFarlane meeting each one of those guys was, they're all very personable. They're all extremely excited about what they did and all very positive uh, forces and talented. So it was easy to get behind that and recognize that these guys were going to make a big splash. So, so what was Leif, uh, Liefeld's pitch for you to do profit? Well, I was, by the time I got out to California, which wasn't too long after I had done that issue of X-Force, Mark Silvestri had contacted me because Scott Williams had kind of, you know, everybody at Wildstorm was using Scott Williams ink. He was inking Wetworks over Wills Portacio. He was inking Jim Lee, and he was inking the first couple issues of Mark Silvestri's Cyberforce. And I think he'd just bitten off more than he could chew. And since he started off with, Jim and Wills, he had to kind of bow out. So Sylvester needed a replacement, and he asked me to do it. And I did land up inking, I think, issue number three of Cyberforce, which was a lot of fun. And Mark asked me to stay on. And I think those guys were, I mean, they're all buddies, but they're very competitive. And Rob was like, well, hey, I want. what do you want to do? And I go, I really want a pencil. I really want a pencil and ink. And, and he said, well, how about profit? And I didn't really know much. I knew about as much of profit as anybody else did. I saw him in the maybe the first issue of Youngblood. And I was like, I don't care who he is, but he looks kind of like Conan a little bit. He has long yeah. hair and swords. And you know, I'm like, I'm down. That'll be great. And Andy paid me considerably more than Silvestri's already exceptionally ge- generous offer. Like, these were great offers. As great as X-Men royalties were, the, this was even more. So... Well, it had to be a, a lot of appreciation because, I mean, I imagine artists know what it's like to work um, for, and be an artist. And so they had to know and probably appreciate, my guess, more of what you brought to them. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't have much of a resume to sh- display to Rob. I think he must have seen something I, I had penciled. I think originally I had done – Mark Bagley was still doing backups. It was the very end of his backup career at Marvel. and. I, and as he was getting more and more work from Marvel, the backups he was doing, he started letting me do finishes on him. And as he was letting me do finishes on him, I was looking at a lot of Scott Williams. So there are very few artists in that early stage that were, you know, essentially aping Scott Williams. I was one of them. Art Bear was a guy at DC Comics over Dan Jurgens who was who was doing kind of a s- similar thing that Scott Williams was doing, but it fell into that same category. And art was very accomplished uh at it you know much more so than i was but so it was really there's a 
the selection you had as a new emerging image comics guy wasn't very high. So fast forwarding just a little bit, your current project that you're working on is called In Unkindness of Ravens. Is that correct? Yes. Now you're the writer and you're not, are you doing the artwork as well or are you the writer or creator only? I am, I'm the writer on the book and uh, it was created for Boom Studios. I also do some bookends. So every issue has these kind of, it's kind of a separate storyline that's going on that kind of gives you an inside look on that issue. So in some cases it's four pages in other cases it's two, but it's mostly four pieces of pages of additional artwork that are kind of connected to the storyline. So what, what made you decide to only write it and not do the interior pages? Well, I'm working on right now, I'm a, a, it's, it's kind of a secret project. I can't talk much about it, but I'm, I'm doing an, an adaptation of a novella that's going to be published by a European publisher. So it, the, I'm drawing that, and drawing just takes so much more time than the writing. So I would have loved to have drawn this, but we have a great artist drawing the Ravens book. Boom so, has been great, and we have am an amazing cover artist as, as well. So how did Boom get involved? Did you, Boom come to you first, or did you say, I want to bring this project to Boom? Well, I'm friends with Matt Gagnon, and I've known Ross Ritchie for a long time. So when I was shopping this book around, they were super interested. Actually, I had shopped some stuff around to them, and they, they said, well, we're really looking for this kind of book. And I said, well, I have an idea. Let me shape this one idea up, and I'll bring it to you. And, and they loved it. So it was just it was a perfect uh, marriage in that sense. Now, uh, the artist on this book is my Mariana Ignazi. Can I pronounce her yeah. right? Yeah, she's an Italian artist. She has a great Instagram account. She's very prolific. Like she, I think, I don't know if my book is the only book she's working on. She might be working on another European or Italian comic book. Now, as an artist, is it, do you find it easier to work with another artist? Like, do you write in script form or are you just, or are you doing it more like the Marvel um, plot um, form? No, it's fully scripted. And in many cases, these are very full scripts because I don't, I've never met Mariana, so I don't know what she likes. So I, I give a very full script with like very descriptive panels and even arrangements, how I see the page arrangement. Now, whether she chooses each issue to draw it the way I kind of implied, that's, that's still up to her. But you know, I'm working on another book for uh, AWA, Upshot, which I'm also just writing. And I haven't, we haven't, nobody's announced that, but I can't even announce the title. But in that case, this artist likes to, uh, you know, he's, he just likes to kind of go in his own direction. So I think he, he would, he would be upset if I gave him too much direction. <laughs> now with Mariana, did you seek her out or did Boom make the connection? I, I found her on Instagram. I, I was following her work and I liked it very much. So now I suggested her and a few others and, and they arrived on her. Now, what are you looking for in an artist when you are making yourself? Cause like I said, as an artist yourself, do you look for someone like with your style or looking for something? Well, no, that she draws, she draws nothing like I do. She, what I, what I want to see is good storytelling. I mean, I guess that's kind of cliche from a writer's standpoint, but I really want to see an artist hit all those notes and particularly I want them to hit kind of emotional notes. So what inspired the creation of Unkindness of Ravens? I love the occult magic and uh, there's something really, I mean, it's, it's not that far back in our history when like the Salem witch, witch trials took place. So, you know, when you're the younger you are, like 
I grew up thinking like, oh my God, the 60s, that was like forever ago. And then, you know, you realize that, you know, I look back to the 90s is, you know, the 90s <laughs> 80s is actually a, a long time ago. Yeah, for, yeah. For, you know, if you're just getting out of uh, college right now. So, but it's it wasn't that long ago that, you know, people were hanging people because they were, you know, practicing witchcraft. And what's nice about doing a story that originates uh, in a distant timeline is, you know, you think of like, even like King Arthur, you're like, oh, maybe Merlin, you know, knew a few things or, you know, it's easy for that fantasy aspect to take over and you can let your imagination wander. In today's day and age, you know, everything ideally needs to be explained by science. So that sort of mysticism and, and your that playful side of you accepting that isn't there. So this story is basically about, you know, there are some people that escaped the, the uh, Salem witch trials and or went to jail and actually uh, came out of it or weren't hung or escaped. And these are the people that survived and they've been plotting their revenge ever since generationally. Now, now how much research did you go in? Did you look into the Salem witch trials in preparation oh, for this? Of course. I mean, just tons and tons of research. I have, a, I have so many books on the occult and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I'm sure, sure you, you know, just doing the research is, is half the fun. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, the same with Charles, once again, it really happened. And a lot of those characters were actually made kind of famous through The Crucible. Now, mm-hmm. are some of the characters you're going to be referring to are ones that really were alive, or are you using fictional characters only from that time period? Well, there'll be, there'll be flashbacks, and I'm trying not to use really any of those names. But in the actual storyline, there's variations of those names. And if you're familiar with the Salem Witch Trials you'll go, oh, that's this character, or that's a descendant of, of this character, and so on. Um, so, okay, okay oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that, that was basically it. So so in, in your story, the witches that were hung are, were truly witches? I don't want to give anything away, but the people that were doing the hanging are now the people in power, so to speak, like the patriarchs of this New England society i guess so you the, their motivations might not have been just these people are witches they might themselves have been dabbling in these things and trying to you know maybe through some smoke and mirrors kind of pass the buck so and so the story is of the the, the name comes from the idea of the group is called of the girls who um in current times are called the ravens yeah and obviously witches tend to have the stereotypical bad guys in a lot of stories so are the ravens in your story the heroes or the villains? Well, they're the heroes in this, and there's different ravens. So this we start off in this first series with the black ravens. And by the time the series is done, you'll be hearing the stories about the white ravens, and those are kind of the elders in that group. So you have you'll have the black ravens, blue, and then gray, or it'll just keep it'll keep going. So there's different age categories. Okay, so are they so as they develop, they change the the, the group of that they're in, or yeah, a new as each generation um, comes up, there's another generation of ravens. Well, that's very cool. So, are we going to hear more and more about previous generations? You'll hear you'll hear a little bit about them in the first series, and then the second series you'll move on um, How- because the, the the girls themselves are moving on. So the, I know the first series is five issues long. How many series are planned? I'd like to do uh, 25 issues total. Oh, very cool. How far are, are you, have you plotted out the entire 25 issues yet? 
they're plotted out how finished they are as a whole different story. <laughs> you know, I know how the story ends and, and where it goes and who all the key players are, but you know, for now, just the first mini series is finished, and I I know what happens in obviously series two, and so on and so forth. But those issues aren't written yet. Now, as you're as you're writing the first five issues, do you find that the stories go into directions differently than you originally planned, or is it are are you able are you keeping um, pretty tight to the plot? Well, I've had a great editor. His name's uh, Matt Levine, and he's been really good with with working with me. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's very much the same story, but the motivations and the it, it's definitely tightened up considerably. Uh, I like it. I, I really like where it's where it's going, and the m- more mythology behind it has developed as we've gone along. So it's it's a nice story. There's it's definitely one of those books where there's lots of Easter eggs. And some of the what's interesting is some of the Easter eggs we're putting in these issues are going to apply to not only the second series but the third series and so forth. Well, that sounds very cool. Now, your main character is is Wilma. Now, she's about how old is a high school age? My, she's high school age, so she's probably a junior in this. Is it hard to get yourself mentally in a place to write for a junior <laughs> age girl? Or I mean, I don't know if that sounds like a weird question, but it is a weird question. But it, it uh, definitely a question worth asking. I, I think, luckily, a lot of comic book enthusiasts, fans, and people who work in the industry. I mean you're still kind of youthful in that sense. And high school for me, I'm one of those rare people that I loved. High school was great. I had a great time. I don't even know if I had a sick day uh, all four years. I enjoyed it that much. But I really enjoyed paying attention to the social aspects of it and the social groups. I was one of those people in high school that I got along with the jocks. I got along with the, uh, obviously, the more, I guess, what you know, today we call them nerdy, but, you know, it's, Nerdy is a good thing. And to me, when I was in high school, nerdy was a good thing also. It didn't have the same connotations back then. It was kind of a negative, but I got along with everyone. So but it was, enjoying, it was enjoyable for me to see how socially like those groups accepted one another or didn't accept one another. So is Wilma kind of an amalgamation of some girls that you knew in high school? Oh, definitely. I have two sisters, so... You know, I, I grew up they're both younger than me and I got to see their perspective on, on life and what they were going through. And, you know, their friends were always at the house constantly. So I've been, you know, I don't know from a male perspective. I don't know if that quali- gives you any sort of qualifications, but it certainly helps. Yeah, I mean, I, I know there seems to be some discussion on um, writing in different voices, but I think as a writer, you should. I mean, that is what you do as a writer, right? Just try to stretch your consciousness yeah. to try to stretch your ability by writing in different perspectives exactly and i mean yes there's major differences between men and women and that's becoming more and more apparent all the time but we're all human beings we, we all you know we all want basically the same things it's just you know some things we might want more than others but i, I don't think it's any more difficult to write from a female perspective necessarily and there's certainly, it's not a, just a book about females. There's almost as many male characters in, in this book. Now, are all witches females or are there no. male witches? There's definitely male witches. Now, the other thing is, too, I know one of the main mysteries is of Wilma because she's new to the school and kind of the mystery kind of sur- surrounds her. So how would you describe Wilma as a character to the reader, uh, to our listeners? 
Well, what's great about Wilma is she's coming in the same place the readers are coming in. She doesn't know anything about the Ravens, anything about this city in New England called Crab's Eye, which is a kind of a made up. I don't know if you've ever, well, you kind of, you're very near there, I guess, if you're in Rhode Island. All those great names in Massachusetts for those towns, they're just amazing. Yeah. You know, Mashpee and all these different great names. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought Crab's Eye is a perfect name for a kind of a sleepy little New England town. And so she's basically us coming into this story. And she's excited to have this new life in this new school where, you know, every, everything is new. So she can become a brand new person. She can kind of write her own history in a sense, but right off the bat, that does not happen for her. And her her dreams are kind of spoiled in, in that way. Now, have you ever been to Salem, Massachusetts? No, I, I haven't. I, I was about to lie and say yes. <laughs> I love are... lying, by the way, but I think all writers love lying. Well, it, it, I have, it, it, I've, been to, I've been to Massachusetts and I've kind of traveled around all over but I actually have never been to Salem, so. Now, as a writing, lying makes you far more interesting than when yeah. you lie. If people knew what writers' lives were really like, usually they wouldn't feel that interesting at now, all. <laughs> I, have, I have to point out, though, that although this is based on the Salem witch trials, there were witch trials about 100 years prior to those, a little bit north of, of Salem. And this is kind of an amalgamation of all those the things that were happening with like burning witches at the stake and, and what went behind that. So a lot of, like I said, a lot of the names are the same or similar in this story, but it isn't exactly, we never come out and say this, these are, you know, the Salem witch trial descendants. Yeah. As an English teacher, I teach high school, like I said, and every year I teach the crucible and it's such a fascinating time period. One, because it, on the one hand, it feels so alien to us, but on the other hand, you look and you go, yeah, we're not that far removed from that either as far as socially. No, not socially. If you look at what's happening politically, you know, you have two very diametrically opposed modalities of thinking. And I think both sides are ready to crucify <laughs> the other. So, and, and yeah. both, of them feel, both of them feel very self-righteous in, 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 in why they feel that way. So it's not I mean, too hard to figure out. Yeah, I mean, must, I must admit, I mean, I know where I stand on things. I mean, I know on some level... The whole controversy with like wearing masks on something, there's a certain level to it, even though I'm a big believer in wearing masks. I do know anytime anyone does mention a that they're not going to use masks or something like that, the amount of venom thrown at them is pretty harsh. I mean, I understand because I'm very pro mask, but mm -hmm. yeah, there's still that kind of um, definite look, uh, yeah, toxic, it's, you know, it's anger. Odd. It's definitely odd. And, and I think I don't, I can't speak for how people feel in other countries, but I don't know, understand how this became a politicized, you know, movement at all. It's a survival movement, but that's the way it's being played. I don't know. It, I feel, part of me does always feel like this is a way of, that we're not gonna make it back from this. I was having a conversation last week. I was talking to um, Timothy Busfield on one, of these inter on one of these interviews. And he said that he believed that we would eventually come back from this as a, country as you know and everything would become more and more um, harmonized but I, I find it that we tend to divide we're i don't know I, I think we're almost too divided now at this point yeah I, i've never seen this country so divided personally so uh, it's hard to say but i will say that it's only in, in recent years that it's become this way and there's no reason why the pendulum couldn't swing the other way and i i think that's that's socially where things happen. I think when change happens, it happens kind of in a, 
radical opposition to to what is being changed. So that pendulum swings pretty hard, far the other way. And then it eventually settles on a happy medium in between the two. But yeah, it's definitely a, a unique time in our history, or at least it seems that way. Yeah, and I know historians look towards the Salem Witch Trials, and they're still kind of discussing, there's some debate about why it happened. Like, why did it spring up in that in the, in the societies that it did? Why at that time period? And mm-hmm. I mean, I know there was some argument about, um, there was a fungus, supposedly, that was at the root, as one um, college paper had written, that Ooh. it was causing, I can't remember, it, it was an EGOT, I'm trying to remember the name of, of the fungus. It was a type of fungus that was made in apple cider, and mm. apparently it was causing hallucinations like LSD when it's used, which is what they drink a lot during um, same witch trials. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So the reason I'm bringing that up, though, is in writing your story, do you come up, do you explain a reason of why it occurred or did you not, you know what I'm saying? Do you dive into some of the, the, the political the politics of that time period? Well, there's definitely like under underlying politics in this storyline for, for this particular five issues were kind of in the getting to know you phase of the story. So by the second um, series, you know, hopefully there is a second series. You never know what <laughs> But let's pretend there is that it's wildly successful and there's a second series. And then we start getting into, oh, the why of all of it. Like, why did this happen? Why did it go down this way? Who benefited? And, and why did they benefit? And who didn't? And, and why they were chosen, et cetera. So I like all that stuff. I find it very intriguing. I don't know if you've ever been to my Facebook page, you know, I like to uh, stir it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's good though. I mean, I, I think readers need to be challenged. I don't like, I know sometimes there's, you know, there's different debates about things, but I think a writer and an artist needs to challenge the readers. Otherwise, if you're not trying to say something, then why say something at all? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For instance, like the, bad guys or whatever in the in this Raven storyline are refer to themselves as the survivors. So from their perspective, you know, they're doing what they can to survive. But, you know, from everyone else's perspective, you know, these people are, you know, destroying lives and abusing their power. Now, is your would you um, describe your story as being more horror and oriented, is more action oriented? Like what what would you kind of where would you fit? And if it was like, you know, like, a, you know, how movies have different, when they used to be movies, um, stores, video stores, they had different, um, sections. Where would your comic book fit into those sections? I think it's like a horror drama. It's not a, it's not a gory horror film, like something like a saw or uh, Halloween. I think it's more horror in the sense of the omen or classics like Rosemary's baby, where there's definitely, there's a lot of magic. Obviously magic is happening every issue, but it's, you know, it's not, it, people aren't just floating around and everyone's like, oh, well, that's a magician or that's a witch. So, you know, it's very secret. And uh, when magic does happen, it's in secret, typically. Now, are there rules to the magic in your world? Or is it, because I know, so depending on what you read, especially when it comes to um, stories with magician the magic, is the idea of either kind of, I would say almost like a Doctor Strange where, almost anything is there or is it more confined to us to rules of what they can and cannot do? I'm kind of taking that as it comes. I mean, I want, I want there to be levels to the magic and to the people that are able to implement that magic. So as we're starting off in this series, there's going to be a limited amount of it as it keeps getting further and further along. You're going to, you're going to see more examples of, uh, the magic getting more and more powerful. That's very cool. Have, have you shared your um, 
series yet with your pals at the Drink and Draw Social Club yet? And what do they think about it? <laughs> you know, I actually don't. This is the first interview I've had regarding anything about the Ravens. And oh. it, it's kind of nice to talk about it. But no, typically, if you've seen the original Drink and Draw Social Club on YouTube, it's Dave and I and Jeff. It's mostly Dave and I giving poor Jeff Johnson a hard time and then Joe <laughs> coming in to kind of put the nails on the coffin. And nobody takes it better than Jeff. And Jeff can give it too, but he like, you know, it's we have a nice little routine going there. And Jeff is is so talented that I think he just has the confidence to just kind of chuckle about it. Now I, I don't know what kind of, I'm not the greatest friend in the world to have. I wouldn't, you know, I would feel sorry <laughs> for my wife. But uh Jeff seems to get a real kick out of it. So that's well, but who knows the group- demons he has. But I'm gonna say, like in every group, though, there's one friend like that, though, who's a little bit of an ass, right? <laughs> I mean, in every yeah, group. Yeah, unfortunately, that one would probably be me. I, I will say, in, my, in, in the group of friends that I had, especially when I was in um, high school and college, I was the ass, and I totally admit to it, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I try to be entertaining with it. I'm, ne- I'm ne- never like going for the jugular or anything, so it's it's all good natured. You, you know, the few times I hit a raw nerve with Jeff, yeah, you know, I'll back off. But that's, you know, I think I've done that. Maybe I've known Jeff for. Oh God, decades now. And I think I've managed to really upset him twice. <laughs> See, the rule I always go with is I will, I can I'll joke or kind of make fun of them about anything unless it's actually true. And then I don't. Oh go yeah. Away. You can't, you have to stay away from that stuff. Yeah. Cause that's, that's, it only hurts when it's true. If, if you make a joke about something that's not possible, you can shake yeah. that stuff off. But if you hit something that is, they do know is real. They think these real about themselves. Yeah. That's when it's piercing. Yeah. So do you put a lot of uh, humor into your work or not? As far as my writing or my interviews? Yeah. Oh, well, the writing. In the writing, I try sometimes put in some humor, but I will, I'm honest with myself enough to know that my humor does not carry well to what I'm writing. I have, I think, a very dry sense of humor, and comic books, I think, is not a great place for dry humor. Uh, yeah, I, the, the tone of slots was a little, there was a little bit more humor injected into slots than Unkindness of Ravens. There's a tiny bit of it. I mean, there's some characters by nature are a little bit, you know, mildly comic relief, I guess you'd call it. But yeah, it's, not, it's nothing like slots at does, all. Does your wife read your work and give you feedback or do you keep that Definitely. separate? Definitely. Oh, she does. Oh, I, run everything. Cool. I, I run everything by her. She's great. She went to Vassar. At Vassar so she's very helpful. Oh my God, that seems kind of intimidating. <laughs> oh, it is. I mean, well, at least I have a, a good sounding board. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. My, I will say my wife doesn't really read my, my work too much. I'm not sure if because she's afraid if I'll get offended by something. My, my family editor, my father's the one who will give me the real feedback. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But I, I definitely um, always run things uh, through him. He's my like family editor. Oh, that's, it's great to have. I mean, I'm lucky. I live with one of my best editors artistically and in a literal sense. And she, she'll give me feedback on the artwork. And she definitely gives me feedback on the writing. And having her work with me on these stories, you know, since a, you know a big part of it is very female driven, is, is helpful. And I take that, I don't know, I kind of thrive on criticism. I've learned over the years to really use it as a tool to get better, I, you know, and it's a work in progress. I'm not always great about it, but, you know, I've had some critics of my work before where I, I early on when I kind of got back into comic books, I took about 10 years off from the late 90s to the uh, early 2000s when i got back on the comic book scene the works still had a long way to, ways to go as it does now 
it's a constant learning experience. But I remember some run-ins with some critics and I was just very hypersensitive about it. But I would always contact them and hash it out. And and now I'm friends with a lot of those <laughs> same the same critics, you yeah. know. Now, now, does your wife ever say? Because, like I said, obviously, your main character, like I said, is 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 a female. Does she ever say a woman, a girl, wouldn't say something like this, or this not this isn't in character? So far, not. But she does like strong female female characters, and and all the women are strong characters in these stories. Like in slots, like the the women aren't the predominant characters in slots. It's a story about mostly this one idiot grifter, Stanley Dance, and and basically his way uh, go, going about to find redemption and, and a little bit of his relationship with his son and his relationship with all his friends, which is terrible because he's a rotten person. But the females, even in that story, they're all strong women. So in a sporting sense and in Ravens, all the, the women are the predominant characters. And I think everybody, you know, I think we've had enough of, you know, the damsel in distress. We've seen enough of those stories. And, and in truth, it's, you know, my wife's a very strong-minded person. Um, I'm a little bit terrified of her, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> both my sisters are both my sisters are very strong-minded and yeah. uh, toughies. And my mother just w- was a big, huge influence on my life. She a very positive, gregarious person. Like we always joke that she, like, if she was a mutant, she had more endorphins running around <laughs> her than than most people because she never seemed like she was in a bad mood. Yeah, um, but uh, she was also a very strong woman. She was very positive, and she did whatever she wanted. Like she just definitely marched to the beat of her own drum, and and ultimately that's very inspiring. As much she had a huge impact on how I see life and and what I do and how I do it. Well, it's fantastic to have that support, and I think it's also I think it's it's great how you said you handle criticism. Cause I will say like um I I just finished a new comic book um obviously not anywhere near the level that you're in as it's it's a um small market called Malik Raining Devil, and I will say you know and I've been sending it out to for reviews and then the first two I got actually were negative, and I want to say that set me back a little bit that kind of like backed me up you know what I'm saying because oh, it's a six <laughs> ideally six issue series so this was the first issue it kind of backed me up a little bit the other. Since then, I've gotten a f- several mostly, po- and I've gotten all like positive reviews since. But I'll say the first two set me back on my heels just a little bit, I would say. And it's, it was kind of, it was, it was like, it's a little bit of like a head game, I would find, at least for me. But obviously, you figured out a better way of handling it than I did originally. Well, I, I just think that those, I mean, you don't have to implement every single criticism, but I think you have to listen to it. And hopefully, it, hopefully it affects your work, whether it's artistic or whether it's your writing. And, to be mindful of those things. Yeah, I, I think I remember, like, I remember the criticism. Actually, I kind of remember the criticisms better than I remember the compliments. But one of the criticisms, I, I, I think, actually, I think I messaged him back, the reviewer, and I was like, you know, you're not necessarily wrong in, you know, in these, crit, you know, critiques. I think you for the, you know, for what you said, you're not necessarily wrong. And I sometimes thought about when I work, when I get ready to work on issue four, because the, the other two are written, they're just not completed. And I do think that's something to integrate into the, the, the next story and something to think about. And I, and I do think in that way, criticism is helpful. But like I said, I do think it, it can be kind of, I mean, I, I remember watching the, was it sci-fi channel or, or documentary on Todd McFarlane when he said he got 300 rejections. And I think it takes a <laughs> yeah. special kind of guy to take that. Well, he's a special kind of guy. He's a, a unique animal. He's a bit of a maniac. You know, I guess you. I guess you have to be successful on some level. <laughs> well, I think you know. I've been thinking about that a lot. I, 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 
especially in comic books, because at least I know some of these people firsthand, not intimately, or but everyone I know in this business who's successful is extremely ambitious and extremely driven. And you, there's something to, to being ambitious gives you that drive to keep moving forward despite any setbacks or in this case, any criticisms. I mean, you have to have that self-belief and self-confidence to keep pushing forward and not letting the word no stop you. Because it sounds like Todd McFarlane got a lot of no's. I'm sure Rob has had plenty of no's. A guy like Joe Casada, who I've known, uh, Joe, I think Joe's first work when he broke in at DC, actually I knew him briefly at Valiant, but he was just coloring books at that point. But Joe Casada had a game plan since the day I met him. And I I kind of uh, doubted it, doubted him, you know, because we were both so young. He's a, he's a little bit older than me, but not that much. And uh, no, he had a game plan from day one. He followed through with it. And it's very impressive to see something like that. Isn't it strange um, that you're now on, like I said, you do the Drink and Draw Social Club to be together where you are now versus where you guys might have started with this. And if I remember correctly, so Drink and Draw, it, it came off uh, from Amazon hardcover books, or am I wrong on that? No, we we started in 2005 here in Los Angeles, and, and we had all been kind of, I'm sure plenty of people, artists, comic book artists, would go to bars and, and drink and draw. It's just a good icebreaker in a lot of ways. I used to do it at, a, at this biker bar that had live music, and I would sit there and draw the band, and inevitably someone would go, can you draw me, or something like that. So Dave Johnson was like, man, I want to hang out more with myself and Jeff Johnson. So he goes, why don't we... You know, and, and Jeff and I are both married. Dave is single. And he's like, well, why don't we go to the bars and, and we, you can come out, but we can do some drawing. And that way, when you come home to your wives, at least you have some sketchbooks filled out. It doesn't look like you're just, you know, you, you can't drink too much if you're drawing. And that's true, obviously. So we started doing it in 2005. And then a, about a year later, I think we came out with the Drink and Draw uh, book that Image published. I think it's available on Amazon. And then we went to IDW for the second book. And I think now with us doing the YouTube show, we might come up with a third book. But what was nice to see is that chapters started emerging all around the country and all around the world based on that. And that we, you know, we trademarked the name Drink and Draw. So, well, uh, well why do you think it's hard to enforce it much? But, you know, it's just <laughs> a nice little thing. So, so what, why do you think it caught on so well? I think that uh, even, you know, animation people, it, it's just people that enjoy drawing, I just, Drawing is, particularly comic books, it's such a solitary act. Even if you're in a studio, you're forced to have your head down and, and just do the work. And and, you're, and you don't have an opportunity to meet with other people or even too many other artists. So it gives you an opportunity to do both. And if you're not, if you're still an introvert, you can just, and plenty of people are at these drink and draw um, events at these bars. I wouldn't even call them events because they're typically weekly not even meetings. I don't know what, what you'd call them get togethers. You know, pe- some people are very shy and all they do is draw. They don't talk much and other people are barely drawing at all and just using it as an opportunity to engage socially. And it's, you know, other people at the bar inevitably will be curious and interested in what you're doing. So it's a great icebreaker as well. So when we're watching you guys on YouTube, how close are you and everyone to how you guys are really when you guys hang out with each other? Uh, pretty identical. <laughs> oh, really? Is that much different? <laughs> it's that much different. I mean, I, I probably, unfortunately, am doing a little bit more drinking than I am when I'm on the show. I think I've legitimately been buzzed maybe 
two or three episodes on that show, but you know, <laughs> I, I didn't have a son when we started doing drinking draws and luckily I lived downtown and I would just stumble back to my loft. <laughs> yeah. You gotta be a little more careful now with the family. around. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and thank God for Lyft and Uber, you know, Yes. Yeah, no, I moved now and we, Dave and I still do drinking draws or we did before uh, this COVID business. But, you know, if I don't really, I don't really live it up, you know, the way I, the way so, I did. So is now drinking and is, is your drink and draw now from home? Well, I mean, essentially for me, the drink and draw is weekly on Thursdays on YouTube. You know, I get to hang out with some of my favorite people. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. And all those, like I said, all those guys are so talented, um, pretty lucky. And we all share our drawings. We get to see how everyone else is doing. A lot of times we sell the drawings afterwards. Some, somebody will see it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and be interested in buying it. Although that's not why we're just drawing for fun each week. Well, that, that's very cool. And like, and I want this, like I said, it sounds very interesting, but I, I will say, uh, so we've been on for a bit, so I am going to, uh, to let you go. Okay. Um, sorry, my I always have um, the most horrible endings. <laughs> they oh, no, be, it's they it's always are abrupt. It's been an hour, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like I said, sorry, um, I always do the abrupt ending for some reason. I haven't quite gotten my smooth endings yet. But either way, so I do. I want to thank you very much for coming on, and I do want to um, remind uh, all the listeners that that your book comes out in September 2020. Mm -hmm. It says it's still on track for that date. Definitely. Yeah, the, the the first issue has been completed for a while, and. Yeah, we're we're on schedule. Marina's excellent. She's very fast and she's very good. So, 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 so in, uh, the in unkindness of Ravens was not affected at all by the issues with Diamond and the shutdown. No, I mean we might have put it out a little bit earlier, but Boom is pretty confident in their distribution outside of Diamond as well. So whether Diamond was in effect or not, they were still going to publish it. All right, well, I, think, I think they basically they have some other outlets beyond Diamond getting into. Um, I guess other other uh, maybe they would have used Comixology or something similar. I don't know. Well, well, that's good. Like I said, because I know Diamond actually had a lot of issues, and obviously DC having issues with their distributor. So it's good that um, Boom it definitely has things under control, which is yeah. Boom's an amazing company with uh, amazing people working there. I mean, I'm really impressed with just their books. I mean, if you look at their catalog of books and how cool they look, it's pretty pretty phenomenal. I, yeah, I think so. I think I, I can definitely see why. Boom is one of the up and comers in the in in the indie comic book world. I mean, I, 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 eventually, I think they are going to surpass Dark Horse and, and be the number probably four or five company. Awesome. Yeah, in a perfect world, all the uh, publishers do well. You know, they're, I think they're all necessary and they all provide different things. You know, I think you get the big two providing that great superhero medium, and then publishers like Boom and Dark Horse are are, are able to to attract different audiences. So uh, it's, it's awesome. I love comics. I don't know if you can tell. No, I can definitely tell. And like I said, you're trying to, I love comic books as well. I've been buying comic books now for shit, 31 years. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it sort of, it is like a drug. Once you start, it does feel it's difficult to just walk away. Yeah. No, I've been trying to finish a uh, fatal for a long time by brew Baker and Sean Phillips. I, I mean, I look forward to just, having some quiet moments, which are few and far between to, to read those collected works. Yeah. Right now I'm trying to finish up why the last man I, I buy the individual. I don't, I'm not buying the trades. I'm buying like one comic book at a time. So it's a little time consuming that way. It's kind of fun though. I like that. 
Yeah, it is. Why Last Man, though, is a fantastic series. I'm also trying to um, finish up Preacher, but that one seems to be buying more sporadically because I'm not finding all the issues in a row. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little more loose. But there's so many good comic books out there that um, th- I bought one. Um, I got one from sent to me from IDW about the, the uh, I must pronounce the name wrong, Tiananmen Square um, graphic oh. novel. And once again, just fin- it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much, there's something out there for everyone. And that's what makes comic books such a wonderful medium. And I think it is important that comic books do, I mean, some people argue about comic books and do like gatekeeping, but I think the more types of comic books that are out there, the more audience, different types of audience members come into comic books, it really is better for all of us. A hundred percent. I mean, no matter what you're into, you know, that's going to like, you know, I started reading comic books because I loved Conan and I got from Conan. I saw advertisements for X-Men and I got into X-Men and from there, you know, it takes you all different places. My probably my favorite comic book of all time is a hundred bullets. So it's oh. neat. Oh, that's Brian. Oh, Brian um, Azarello. He's, he's another yeah. great writer. Yeah. Um, so, and Dave Johnson not doing a hundred covers. It's fantastic. And I think a lot of people don't realize that we are in such a golden age of comic books because I remember growing up like in the nineties, you never would have thought that comic books would be in the movies on your television. I just finished watching umbrella Academy season two. You just uh, never thought about that. But now it seems like every comic book that comes out that has any success mm-hmm. is a oh, now it's, it's so mainstream. It's, it's great. I can tell people I'm a comic book artist and they, they don't ask me if I'm, if mine come out on Sunday strips next to Garfield, <laughs> the people used to do that to you. Oh, constantly. I mean, I still, they still do. They go oh, like Garfield or, like Snoopy, and I have to say no, like like Batman, and they they don't. Sometimes you know, I mean, we're so close to it, we don't see it. But a lot of people don't even realize that they still make comic books or that human beings draw them and write them. <laughs> yeah, and I, I will say, like if in the '90s or early 2000s, I probably would never mention to anybody you know, in the real world that I'm a con- you know I buy comic books. But now mm-hmm. you just you know, eh, I buy comic books. You know, it's just like yeah. oh, okay, that, that's just your it's, oh that's your thing. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's kind of like I remember in the 90s finding out about the comic book scene in Japan where it was just so, you know, like people just read comics on the subways and a a great selling comic book sells typically 8 million copies, uh, you know, a month. Holy crap. And it was just amazing and inspiring to hear stuff like that, a society that really embraced that medium. And yeah, I mean, and I, 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 I might be wrong. Doesn't Boom have some sort of um, media deal set up? I can't remember which network it was, but I thought they said uh, something recently. Fox, Fox, Fox. Fox. I think they also. I don't know if that's still the deal they have. They might have it with another. They might have a. I think. Oh no, they announced Netflix. They have a deal with now. Yeah, and I think also Rob Liefeld has a deal with them as well, doesn't he? Because there was some talk of profit, I, I think, showing up. On that. I mean, I haven't, I'm not, I don't really stay in touch. I mean, as, as friendly and as kind as Rob has been to me over the years, we're not really uh, in touch with each other. Because I definitely am 100% positive I heard something along the lines about profit being brought to Netflix. That's very possible. I mean, I hear that a lot of, a lot of times people contact me about that and ask me if I know anything. But, you know, I was just the artist on that. For the first four issues, I did a issue zero and I was going to do profit unleashed that I was going to write and draw, but that never happened. So it's not like I have any ownership in profit either. So, so you're in unkindness of Ravens. Is that own? Do you own the rights to that or does boom own the rights to that? I, I own some of the rights to that, but so, uh, it's, it's still a boom property. So um, in their media deals, is that something that they go to you about, or is that something you go to them and say, I'm looking to do this? No, that's boom. Boom takes 
charge of all that and they're in charge of that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just it's just interesting that I mean, I don't. It's it's I, yes, it, it, it's interesting, and, and and boom is here in in Hollywood. I'm I'm here in L.A., Los Angeles. It's all Hollywood uh, adjacent. So yeah, like, I, mean, I guess in many ways, for a lot of the small markets, um, not the boom, but like smaller markets, obviously where the money is, if you can sell the property, it seems like. I'm, I'm sure it's a huge consideration because you never know where it can go. But yeah, I mean, it, I think you have to start with, you know, is it something that the fans, the comic book fans are going to like? And if they like it, that might translate well on a larger scale. Now, when, one thing I guess I was thinking about, too, is the other thing that a lot of people discuss when they're making their series is the idea of making, writing the series, the issues for an issue or writing it for the trade. When you're writing in Unkindness of Ravens, are you thinking in terms of the trade? That's why you're doing five issue series. Or that was that just, you know what I'm saying? Or is that just how you plot it? Because you just felt sort of I like mean, saga. Go ahead. You're 100% right. Like all these companies want it, will do things in five or six issue increments so they can put it into a trade paperback. And it just so happened the way I wrote this without that in mind was it's five connecting storylines that stand on top of each other. So it, worked, it works out well. So when the fifth issue ends, is it going to be a, you know, a definitive end, like after, if you, you never made a series oh. after the first five, does it have a complete story or does it necessitate the next series? It, it definitely necessitates the next series. It, yeah, I mean, there'll be a lot of questions answered, but but not nearly all of them. When So for comic book stores, when do they need to put this into previews? I don't, you know, that, I don't know. We've done, all the artwork is done. All the variant covers are finished and completed. Like I said, it's all been lettered and colored. So I don't know. I'm anxious to see it in there. Then it becomes real. That's kind of <laughs> the exciting part of it for me. And, and also doing more and more writing these days, it's really kind of reignited that excitement for comic books. Did you still get excited when you hold the print in your hand for the first time, the printed, fi the finished copy? Yeah. Yeah. Especially with slots when that was coming out, it just seemed, you know, surreal. Like, wow, I wrote this, I drew it, I colored it. I worked with the letterer, the, the font, you know, the lettering font is my handwriting. It was really neat to see. I, I, I grew up reading John Byrne doing everything and Walt Simonson doing everything and Frank Miller, you know, eventually doing everything. And I wanted to follow in those footsteps. So it's fun to watch that happen. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, me, uh, <laughs> at least on my level, not, not on their level, but you know. <laughs> well, you're far closer to their level than I will ever be. But so that's been very. Don't impressive. say that. Don't say that. <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, my, like I said, I get so excited when I get a print copy on my wall in my living room. I have a vanity wall where all my comic books are on top loaders and they're all um, put on the walls. That's so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. It, it means my wife is extremely tolerant, but I do have a wall behind me that's all my comic books. <laughs> oh, that's so neat. I have a spinner rack. I have a vintage spinner rack that has a lot of my covers on there and comics. It's, it's, it's fun, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I, I love looking at them. And I still remember the first autographs I ever signed for someone at a, these conventions. I think that is a good feeling. I mean, that's, you know, that does have that special, you know, you feel, you do feel like Frank Miller the moment, every time you sign a signature for a moment, you feel like Frank Miller. <laughs> yeah. It's weird to be on the other side at a convention and signing the comic books. But my favorite thing about being at conventions is not sitting behind a desk and signing. It's me walking around and looking at all the, you know, going through the quarter bins or going and seeing other artists and how they work or other writers and, and looking at their, 
you know, what they've brought to the table. It's always the very best. So you, you walk away from a convention feeling inspired, but also a little defeated because you're everybody's showcasing their best works. And and definitely uh, broke. <laughs> I was leaving a yeah. convention and having spent way more money than I planned. <laughs> always. Yeah. I, I usually have a backpack with comic books I want signed, but somehow I always ended up with these extra prints and comic books that, you know, the ones that they sell already signed on their tables. And then, you know, and I always end up spending way more money than I ever planned before. But it's it, fun. And it, I, I, I go ahead. work out from carrying that bag around, too, because it gets heavier and heavier. Oh, I give that back to my wife. Oh. <laughs> so, I can, so I can weave through the crowd better. No, um, yeah, it, 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 it's fun. And I do miss that we're not going to have conventions, apparently, for at least quite some time. Do you think you're going to do virtual conventions at all? I don't see myself doing that. No. For me, for me that kind of is not what a convention is. But, I mean... I have an idea for a virtual convention and maybe the technology can, can match it. It'd be, you know, like Roblox or, or basically Roblox is, is kind of the idea is like if you had a virtual convention where you could kind of walk through the convention floor, it doesn't have to be graphically like a hundred percent realistic. Yeah. But you can, you can go by booths and there'd be like little, you know, like an advertisement for whoever's sitting behind there or for whatever publisher is there. And you could click on that. And then you'd be basically in a Zoom call with that artist or with that publisher or obviously the representative for that publisher and looking at the catalog of what they have for sale, but also interacting, say, with the artist or the writer in a Zoom scenario. So it'd be the closest thing technology-wise that we have. But I mean, I imagine the bandwidth or something like that would be incredible. But, but I think it would be fun because I think a lot of comic book fans are dying for the convention experience again. I mean, it's one of the few times that you do hang out with a group that is of your people, you know, your comic book nerd. You know what I'm saying? The like-minded yeah. people. And yeah, and, and I miss it. I mean, I had a convention. I was going to go to Terrificon in Connecticut. And that I was, was going to be... Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I've been there a couple of times in the past. I was going to... Usually, me and my wife do it as like a anniversary like vacation <laughs> we did last last year and it, it was fun and i'm gonna miss the hell out of it and unfortunately there's not gonna be any i don't i mean rodan canceled in november so i can't think of the next convention that's even proposed you know being proposed by anybody yeah who knows i mean it could be another year it could be two years i, I really don't know it's ridiculous but um it, it will i mean when the first convention does manage to happen again it's gonna be one hell of an event i think <laughs> yeah it'll be exciting um that, that was, it was definitely gonna be a lot of fun yeah and and i mean one day i, I would hopefully um want to have a table again I, I do like having a table though i think i do enjoy the idea of the table more than the table itself unfortunately yeah i'm, <laughs> um, with, I'm with essential sequential which handles all my art sales and luckily for me all my buddies in comics were all represented by the same same guys jason schachter and and it's kind of it's fun so it's uh, all that camaraderie is certainly missed and, and when you get as big as you do i assume you don't have to pitch anymore because at my level you got to pitch like as people come near your table you got to call them over and try to sell it to them i imagine at your level you don't have to worry about that anymore i mean i i don't necessarily have to but uh, you know we, there's usually people working you know if you doing working the credit cards and helping out with art sales so yeah it's not really my job to get people to come over or give away freebies. Um, it, usually I'm drawing commissions, so my head's down the entire time. So I was, was going to say, as an artist, 
I know you're 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 writing your current um you know, kindness of ravens is being written, but I'll say as an artist, it's such a benefit I think to writing. I mean, to not to writing, sorry, to doing the artwork in front of the crowd because people want to come and watch. As a writer, you don't quite have that same kind of no one no one wants to watch you type out your scripts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, are you familiar with Frank Thierry? Um, Frank Thierry, I actually got an autograph from him at one a place in Boston convention. Yes, I, I do know who he is. Well, Frank Thierry is is uh quite a mouth on him let's put it that way so he's always cursing up a storm <laughs> a lot of your mother jokes he's kind of he's a big sweetheart but he's uh you know he's definitely uh he comes off as is as, as a bit of a roughneck at times and it's you know it's all in fun with him he's a very nice guy but you know he, if he could show up on the you know the sopranos or something like that and <laughs> he'd be perfect so i had an idea and he's a writer so he's worked for all, all the major companies I, and I thought since he's, I'll, I guess I'll edit this for you, you know, for the, he's very fond of the F word. So I thought he could do a, a, a thing called an FU haiku, where it, <laughs> like it'd be customized. You'd come to him, he would look, take a look at you and then write a haiku. <laughs> in, and, and then we, I was, I wanted to create a stamp for him that he could put this stamp on there. And then it's an official, he'd be assigned a number of things. So he could actually have something to sell writing-wise at these shows. And, of course, do you know what he said to me? What? F you. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. That's, that's funny, but I think that would work, though, because my experience as a writer at a convention, uh, and a lot of writers um, probably had the same experience, when the uh, guest comes to your table and they're like, did you draw this? And you say, I'm the writer. They go, okay, and they walk away from you. like pretty freaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, that hasn't happened to me yet, so maybe I'll... I'll That'll happen with this book on Kindness of Ravens because oh. it, it is the first one where I'm not really drawing it. I'm doing covers in those bookends, like I mentioned. So I'm not, yeah. be, I won't be getting the, the glory like Mariana would be. Yeah, I would say there's very, it seems like there's little glory in the way. I, I, I want to be like, I always say, well, I created the idea and they go, okay. And they just like leave. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And they go to like next time, they're like, oh, can I see what your artwork looks like? I'm just like, son of a bitch. My, my father advised, that I grab a sketch pad and I just start doodling things. Cause I'm a horrible artist, but I can still do stick figures just so uh -huh. it looks like I'm busy doing artwork. Well, you, know, you know, Donnie Cates uh, does that. He, he draws a little bit. He'll draw like a venom or something like that. And uh, I, I don't know if he charges or not, but I know he does it. it, it does it even look like venom at all? Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I, he's not going to get hired by Marvel to draw any of his, his books, but you know, it's fun. I think the novelty of seeing the writer actually do a drawing. You're like, Oh, my goodness, he just drew that. He's supposed to just be the writer. See, see, at my level of art is I'm still at like the circle for a head, the little rectangle body. And, like, oh no, this definitely, this definitely looks like Ben when he's doing it. He, he, I think maybe he has it down. You know, he's worked it out. He's, he's well, it's smart if he's been practicing the character for these conventions. That's a smart way of doing it. Yeah, he might have started out as an artist. You never know. I mean, maybe maybe he can draw a lot of things. So. I do find that interesting when artists do move over to, to writing and it, it's definitely, you know, because I, I do think the perspective is totally different and I do think it's good that the artist does have that um, experience too, as what it is to be the writer on the project instead of well, just so the like, artist. There's a few writers I know, like Brett Lewis is a pretty good artist himself and he went to art school and Ivan Brandon is, uh, can draw a little bit and he certainly, Ivan has a, great artistic eye. He's a great designer. He understands he can speak the language, you know, and so can Brett. I think that's very helpful. Yeah, because I mean, I, I, we talked previously on, on the interview with Jerry Ordway and how he started as an inker, but now he pretty much is, is I think, solely does um, writing now. 
And it was interesting to talk, you know, listen to his perspective on that and that change. Oh, I didn't know. Jer- I know Jerry wrote a lot of the uh, Superman stuff and he was, you know, doing a lot of writing for a long time now, but he was also drawing quite a bit. So it's, I didn't know that he had switched over completely to writing. Carl Kessel also was like a phenomenal anchor and he became a, a great writer. I think Jurgens, Dan Jurgens did the same thing, right? He was an artist, but now he, I don't think he does any art anymore. I'm not sure. I'm sure. I, I can't imagine Dan not drawing, but he's he probably does a lot of writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, and I think it's impressive. Um, it seems like most writers in the industry have come from art. I don't know if there's been many writers who came in solely as um, writers. Hmm. Interesting. It's probably, I'm sure they dabbled in it. They were, you know, now you have writers coming in from all different, you know, careers and facets of like entertainment. So I'm sure well, it's it, pretty varied. Well, it does save you money on paying for the artist to do your page. If you can do your own. <laughs> you can, well, I do think, I think a writer is able to, you know, in some cases, you know, write multiple books per month. Well, so. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. The only, I would say the only um, issue I think as a writer that you have is if is that you're if you're not if you're doing your own book your like your vanity press is the you're slowed by your finances of paying for the artist because you can't you also without the artist you have nothing your script on its own doesn't really get you anywhere so you need the artist attached well i think an artist it's easier for i think an artist to write their story and do the art than a writer to pay the artist you know what i'm saying mm-hmm, totally Totally. So I th- so I, th- I, mean, I I do see why that would be why a lot of comic book people would have started in art for that reason. But like I said, I, I think the fact that they go into writing does show also a a desire to like yourself to expand their creativity as well. Oh yeah, no, I, I have so much fun with the writing part. I mean, I can see myself, you know, <laughs> if these things are successful, transitioning more into writing. I mean, do, do you think it's going to be hard? I mean, as a writer, you're obviously having full creative control. Do you think it's going to be harder to go back to being told what to um, draw as a, as you know, as a hired inker? Oh, I don't plan on, I don't plan on going back to uh, too much. I mean, I, I want to primarily write all, all of the work I draw. I, I have something planned with a very popular, very talented writer that we're going to do together. I'll see, how, we'll see how that goes. And I'm sure just based on this guy's writing resume, it's going to go phenomenal. So, and we get along very well. So hopefully that'll be great. I'd love to talk about that when things are a little firmed up. Yeah. Can you give a hint at who this person is or can't yet? He's very popular at DC, but he's also done quite a bit of, you know, image work as well. Oh God. Now you're going to have me playing this game in my head for the next few days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll say he's a, he's a top three writer for sure. So it's it's one of those things where it's a great opportunity to write work with a very talented writer, and you know the genre that he and I are going to be working on is right up my alley. So I, uh, there's no way I could say no to it. Well, like I said, anytime you want to come back on and discuss this book, we will. I would absolutely love to have you. You've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Oh, thank you. Oh, certainly. If you're interested in keeping up with what I, whatever lunacy I'm up to, I'm at Urban Barbarian on Twitter, Urban Barbarian on Instagram. I have, it's just Dan Panocean on Facebook. And I think that's about all the social media I can handle and probably all the social media you could probably handle from me. <laughs> have a very good night. Okay, you too. Cheers. Bye. Yeah. Bye.
and we're back. All you guys who didn't score the highest scores as well, like Kendrick said in the beginning, can still listen too, so you're not cut out. Because yes. he said only high scorers. But also, if you're not a high scorer, you can still listen to the show. Hey, I didn't say but, where you scored the highest of scores. It could have been on your Nintendo. This is true. You beat this is your true, but also, but over ultimately, and over me and over saying again. that here at the end does not help them because they probably if if they thought they had to stop, they've already They're stopped. Like, oh, we can't listen to this. I didn't score no yeah. high scores, right? But well, you know, maybe next time I scored some high scores. I had, to, dude, dude. I used to have my, I used to get my name at the top of all high score lists at the arcade that I could. <laughs> and what was great is like my name is just letters, so I could I could actually put my first. Wait, did you say your name is just initial. letters? Isn't it everybody's name just out of letters? No, my name is just one letter. You <laughs> as well, everybody named J. Even doesn't matter how they spell it; they can still spell it with one letter. They can, but I can put my full first name up. How about there. the artist formerly known as Prince? How did he put his uh, name in high scores? He just he put the symbol. Shwing. I mean, he put the symbol there. It's all he he reprogrammed the game to have a symbol. Duh, it's Prince. Dude, have you ever listened to Charlie Murphy's? thing on uh yes oh it's the best the best so great <laughs> so what did you think of listening to dan and jeff i thought it was great i mean dan seems awesome jeff always has a good time which is great but uh dan's not only being an incredible uh artist and being of american descent born to artistic parents in cleveland ohio he's a really cool guy yeah yeah it makes you want to go is if, if that's and... wrong he's actually from ohio and his parents weren't artists that's all wrong right we're, we keep talking about it it's totally wrong right <laughs> I, well, it makes me, after listening to him, makes me want to go and s- seek out some of his work just to see more of it. Right, right. So that's always good. I don't know, man. Yeah. I, uh, we've had a lot of artists on here, and God, they're all so good. I, I, you know, by the time you get to the point where you are working with Marvel or working with Image or, you know, it's, your work is so stupendous. I mean, that's the one thing that all the comic book, it's rare that you find an artist that has made it off of luck. You know what I mean? They're out there. You know what I mean? And I know that John has his opinions on, on who those people are. We don't need to get into yes. it. But <laughs> there's but the majority of people that have that you go and you start looking at their work and they've worked for these, the big artists or their big comic book companies and even the small ones, you know, don't get me wrong, um, man. But by the time you get to DC and Marvel or image, you're almost always so on point with your stuff. It's crazy. And it's just awesome to talk to these people and almost every single one that we talk to, they have a very common personality trait, uh, to me, which is driven, very driven. And it's, it's, it's inspiring to be honest. I mean, yeah. Seeing somebody is so driven by their passion that they make a career out of it is just insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because we've had people on that after we, you know, that their work is, well, I'll just be blunt. It's subpar, especially right, for what they're right. trying to do and what they're trying to present. And they want you to get into it. And it's like, this is hard, man, because it feels like a 14-year-old drew it. And not a 14-year-old that's a prodigy, but a 14-year-old that is um, is okay at, at at drawing things. You know what I mean? And so, right. yeah, you know, it's cool when you have somebody like Dan on that is just a consummate professional. And then you look at their stuff and you're just like, you're just blown away. You're like, this is, I can't even begin to be able to think or have the ability to produce art like that. Right. It's just, it's on another, it's on a, another level, man. And I, yeah. as an artist myself, it's on another level. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a particular style. 
I do. You know, I do. I, I, the thing yeah. with the Marvel and the Image and DC guys, they all have that. Oh, most of the people that we talk to have that superhero style. Yeah, you know what I mean. That 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 classic. Even I mean, even now, if you think about it, the stuff that came out in the '90s that changed the way everybody did their art, like the Jim Lees and the Todd McFarlands, that really changed a lot. Um, it's still very superhero style, stylized. You know, it is, and so, and that's not how I draw. <laughs> yeah, and you don't get there's there's few like Jason Alexander or uh, John H. Williams the third that we get on that have a whole other level of art that they do on top of this. So I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I'm just saying I'm just in awe of the people that we've had on like Dan that are able to produce this amazing stuff. Yeah. It's, 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 like I said, it's, it's inspiring because it makes me want to do better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go, man. I think that's a show. Yeah, that's a show. That is a show. Yeah. And before we go, I just want to let people know you can go over to spoilerverse.com. And if you enjoyed listening to Dan, you'd probably enjoy listening to Johnny H. Williams III. You'll probably enjoy listening to Walt Simonson and Louise Simonson. And you'll probably like listening to Eric Larson. I'll talk about their career and what they do and how they do things. Um, head over there, do a search for Spoiler Country at spoilerverse.com, and all our back issues are free every single one of them and the back issues for all of the other shows on our network which there's too many to list so just go there and go to the podcast section look at them all listen to all of those read our, our articles and our, our previews and our reviews from all of our many many wonderful writers that we have and go to that store link and go buy a t-shirt or a hoodie or a poster and make your whole life fly as hell now we should make a fly as hell t-shirt I'm just saying <laughs> how much time how much do you say we should make a shirt you know spoiler first makes you fly as hell and uh, I'm making that tonight and I'm putting it in the store tonight <laughs> But do that because when you do that, we you know the, we get a couple dollars and it helps us pay the bills to keep the stuff going out here to keep everything out to you you know going without any actual actual upfront cost to you. Just that we get a cool thing and we can we make cool things. There you guys go. All right, don't forget in an oceans of podcast. We are Cthulhu. Cthulhu controls you to do. Open the mind and read. More.